you turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, we're going to take the first half of the chapter uh, tonight, and, and really the focus here in the first half is, is what love is not. And to set the stage for that, you might remember that what is in view here is a very special type of love, a type of love that's described in Scripture as agape love. It's God's love. It's unconditional It is not based on feelings. It is not that which is merely an attraction or an affection. It is a consuming love. It's a devouring love. It's the love that ultimately would put Jesus on Calvary's cross. It is the type of love that God actually is, according to John, as he wrote 1 John chapter 4. For God is love. It is that kind of love that's in view in the rest of this chapter. And so as the Apostle Paul is commenting on what is at the end of what we call chapter 12, the focus is actually true spiritual giftedness results in true spiritual awareness that love is the supreme thing for the child of God. So much so that Jesus himself would say, John would echo as much, that without love, we actually do not know whether we are the children of God or not. And in fact, if you are, you will love. It's not an optional thing. And so when people argue and haggle over spiritual giftedness, and it gets to that place to where it's about their legalism, or it's about their libertine values, or it's about something other than the love of God born out in our lives, we can honestly look at them and say, brother, sister, where's the love? Because without the love, all these other things, Paul is going to say emphatically, tongues, prophecy, all these other things that we would look at and go, wow, that's an amazing spiritual gift. To have those gifts and to even exercise those gifts, but to exercise them in such a way that you remove the love from their usage is to deny the exact kind of love that is being talked about. And so, would you join me? We'll pray. We'll pick up in verse 1 here in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Father, thank you for your love poured out for us, Lord, that while we were yet sinners, sinning, actively going the wrong way, you, Jesus, poured out your love upon us. While we were abusing you, you were dying for us. Lord, help us to love like you love. Lord, help us to be that love to this world that desperately needs to see it. Help us to lay down everything that keeps us from it. Lord, so many things in our lives we can hoist up and say, this is the reason that I'm being unloving. And so, Lord, help us to supremely love as you have supremely loved us. In Jesus' name, amen. Verse 1, 1 Corinthians 13, and Though I speak with the tongues of men and angels. And so you can see immediately it's checking in with the last chapter. It's one of the problems with chapters and verses in our Bible that didn't exist in the time when these letters were written. Uh, They kind of give us a false sense that there's a break there. There's no break there. It's actually referring to the Apostle Paul's dealing with these issues that plagued the church at Corinth. Which they were having all kinds of superiority complex. They had all kinds of things that they were dickering over things that they were fighting about, they were being unloving and they were being unkind, but at the same time they're saying, well, that's because we're the most spiritual. 
He's going to put that to rest for us. Even though I would speak with the tongues of men and angels, but have not love, agape love, not eros, not storga, not phileo, agape love, self-sacrificing, love that's willing to be hurt if necessary. If I don't have that kind of love, I've become as a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And in order to understand what's being said here, put it into the context of the time, uh, a sounding brass was often found at the back of a stone amphitheater. When we travel to Israel, we normally go to Bet Shean, Bet Shean and, and also Caesarea Maritima, Caesarea on the coast. And when you're there, you'll see a stone amphitheater. Uh, the one in Caesarea seats about 5,000 people. Same for the one that's in Bet Shean, very large amphitheater. But at the back of those amphitheaters, you would place the person who was doing the narration for what was going on in the stage. And a sounding brass was a large brass bullhorn, and they would speak into it. It would echo out of that, but it would not sound like a natural voice. It would be kind of like the radio announcers for WWE. It would just be, and now, you know, just echo, and it was not natural at all. But it was simply to get across a point. The point being, we're changing scenes. So it was as if someone was constantly yelling at you. It was not pleasant. It was not a line array system that costs many tens of thousands of dollars that replicates the human voice and all the instruments like we have in this room. It was a very noisy brass gong. And it was irritating. So if I could speak with the tongues of men and angels, but I do it without love, it's as if I stuck my head inside of a brass drum and yelled at you. You get the picture? Not very pleasant. How many of you in here like being yelled at? I don't. That's why I try and do what God tells me to do, is he does yell. Or a clanging cymbal. Have any of you ever been to the performance of the Los Angeles Philharmonic Cymbal Orchestra? It's only cymbals. There are no other instruments. Anybody going to show up for that? Why? Because it's very noisy. So Paul's making this case that to be able to speak with the tongues of men and angels, but to do it without love, is like being yelled at by somebody who's really irritating. You got the picture? Nobody wants that. Nobody's going to listen to that. And nobody's going to believe that that came from God. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove the mountains, but have not love... I am nothing. Do you get it? Look what's being said here. You see, you can talk about the size of your church, your doctrinal correctness. You can talk about how much Bible study you do. You could scream and yell all day that 
I know the four spiritual laws and I can recite them in their order along with the proof text from the Romans road. I can have absolutely every, I can recite the Apostles' Creed, the Nicene Creed. I can give the Westminster Catechism. I, I can have spent my whole life in church. I can tell you all those things. If I could even chuck a mountain into the ocean and go, look at the power that is possessed by me. And I don't do that with love. It profits God nothing. Zero. Super important for us to remember these things. Because we do this stuff. We get on our little soapboxes of correctness. Or maybe in your marriage relationship, you happen to be the more spiritual one in your marriage. And you can quote chapter and verse, but you do so with the intent to beat your spouse into submission so that the Holy Spirit is no longer actually actively working, it's just you. You're not going to have much effect for the kingdom. I am nothing. Though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor and give my body to be burned. Basically saying, if I were to be a martyr, but have not love, it profits me nothing. It's no good for the kingdom. It's not even good for me. And it goes on to say, love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself, but is not puffed up. Doesn't behave rudely, does not seek its own. Is not provoked, it thinks no evil. Nor does it rejoice in iniquity. Very often, and most often for most of us, I can't believe how many secular stores if they have any piece of scripture in them, if you go into home goods, I guarantee you, you can find 1 Corinthians 13 somewhere in there. Almost any craft store, go into Michael's, you're going to find it. Probably going to find it in Nordstrom's. And it's going to be the ode to love. It's like, this is the word on love funny that it actually takes it out of context in doing so even though it actually is still important in that context and so as we look at these first six verses tonight Jonathan Swift the author of Gulliver's Travels said it this way he said we have just enough religion to make us hate but not quite enough to make us love each other You see, sometimes we just simply try and get the facts straight. We try and get the Bible verses in their proper order. We can name the chapter and verse. We can give you the address, but we can't actually tell you why or how that passage even relates to anyone if it has to be done in love. I was sitting there looking at my brother Pat, and I I think we could probably sit here all night and recount stories to you of marriage counseling to where we sat down with a husband and a wife 
And they're absolutely theologically accurate, point by point, on what they understand the scriptures say. But the whole time they're sitting there, take that, yeah, well, you take that, well, yeah, you take that, well. And it's, it's a slugfest with the Bible as its source of beating. It's like, well, if you would do this, then I would do that. It misses the whole point of this passage. Even if I'm absolutely correct and accurate, but I do not have love, I have missed the whole point of the Bible. The whole point of the Bible is God so loved the world, amen? Isn't that what the story is about? The story of redemption is God in heaven who is holy, absolutely perfect, looks at me as a sinful human being and says, Jeff, I love you so much. I'm willing to send my son to that wretched planet to die in your place on Calvary's cross so that you can come live here with me. Hallelujah, amen? We gotta get that love part in there. Because see, you can get all the other stuff right. You can have your eschatology squared away. We could sit here and talk about all the events that are gonna happen in Ezekiel 37, 38. And you can know all about Gog and Magog. You you can tell me forward and backwards who the players are. But you do so with the purpose of beating somebody up who doesn't know those things. And it's worthless. It's absolutely worthless. It's still true. But it's not going to accomplish a kingdom purpose. It's just information. It's noise. And so he's saying, look, we have to be loving. We have to be kind. We have to be what God is. The main evidence, if you will, of maturity. The main evidence of maturity is not you speaking in tongues. It's you loving like Jesus loves. That's the main evidence of maturity. People look for other things. Oh, I can prophesy. I can pray in tongues. You know, I I go every missions trip, I'm on it. And by the way, all these things are actually good. Make no mistake about what I'm saying here. There are things that we should actually as believers desire to do and be. But when I take the love out of it, when I'm just going so that I can be better than everybody else who hasn't been on 14 missions trips this year, When I'm sitting there praying in tongues when everybody else doesn't have a clue and you just want to be heard because you want other people to think that you're spiritual and you're like, and nobody else knows. Wait till we get to chapter 14. There's a word for you. You got to be careful because it can turn into a show to where we're trying to impress someone who's unimpressible. And that's God. He's not impressed with our little show. So what happens is we wound the very people that Christ came and died for. We begin to harm those that he wants to save. It begins by what agape is not. And I want to give you just a few things to think on as we, as we dig into this passage. 
And they're simply applications that can help you understand where maybe you need some adjustment. You see, real love always enriches. It never harms. Real love always enriches. Even if it's correcting, it still enriches. Even if it's kind of given somebody a little bit of a spanking, it still enriches them. They're not going to walk away, God hates me and I should just die. That's why if your favorite prayer in the entire Bible is Job's wife, there's a little bit of an attitude adjustment that needs to happen. Agape love edifies. It doesn't just enrich. It doesn't just enrich to where it, it gives you something you didn't previously have because it came from God. But it also edifies. It builds that person up. It actually adds something to their life that makes them a measure taller before the Lord. That's what real love does. And again, real love like that can speak hurtful things if necessary. In other words, things that will wound because faithful are the wounds of a friend, even if they're words that have to afflict a little bit. But it won't lack the love. That person will walk away from that situation knowing that you love them and that God loves them while knowing that what they're doing is not according to God's plan for their life. And a third thing, as we dig into these very clear issues that are in this chapter, is love endures. Real love is eternal. It has eternal purpose, it has eternal plans, and it has eternal power. You can tell when something is not real love because it will not have eternal purpose, it will not have an eternal plan, and it will not have an eternal power. It may come and go, it'll fluctuate, it will be something that's temporal, it's suitable in the moment, but real love, God's agape love, is eternal in its nature. It actually came from heaven. So it begins to work in our lives in a very different way than, say, Eros would do. When someone's physically attracted to another person, that is temporary. If someone is just merely a friend, friendship does not transcend hardship, generally speaking, all the time. It can, but it doesn't always. Agape transcends those hardships. It says, I'm going to do the right thing. I'm going to do the thing that even harms me for the sake of the other person. That's eternal love. It will endure. And so as we look at what love is not, it becomes very clear that this is actually, they're looking at the right things, but they have the wrong motivation. And I want to strongly encourage you to remind yourself that right and righteous are not the same thing. You can have all the facts correct. You can know everything there is to know about a certain situation or a person. And you can still act completely unrighteous with the right information. Because you can still wound, you can still harm, you can still not do eternal things in their life. You cannot build them up. You can simply beat them up because you have the right information. I've watched people time and time again pull out the Bible as if, man, now do I really have a weapon. 
And again, I, I will relate this most commonly to marriage counseling. And the husband and the wife come in and they both have their proof text. Well, her body belongs to me. Yeah, well, you're not loving me like Christ loved the church. And it's like, man, they just go back and forth, just duking it out. And what they're both missing is, if you were exercising love and having the right motivation, you would not beat the other person with those verses. You're not going to sit there and go, take that. See, I'm more right than you are about the Bible. Can I tell you, you can quote scripture and be unrighteous in quoting it? You leave those little parts of those verses out every once in a while? Anybody ever guilty of doing that? Oops, forgot that part. Especially the part that points back at you. It's being unloving. You might be right, but you're doing it in an unrighteous way. Second Corinthians, we'll get there in our study, but in chapter 3, verses 5 and 6, it says this. Not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think of anything as being from ourselves. In other words, everything that we have as a believer came from, originated with, and in Christ. I'm not sufficient in and of myself. Take Jesus out of Jeff and you got a pile of goo. Amen? Just say amen. Because you do. Take Jesus out of me. In me dwells no good thing from me. Any good thing is him. So you take him out of the equation, all you've got left is me. Now, I might be able to do some good things, some bad things, but the fact of the matter is, I am not sufficient of myself to think that anything is really from me, but our sufficiency is from God, who made us sufficient as ministers of the new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit, for the letter kills And the spirit gives life. Hallelujah. Do you know why that's important? Because you can beat people with the law. Is that not what the Pharisees did? They quoted it absolutely accurately. But they were trying to beat Jesus with it. The son of God. The living word. So you can know what the word says. And without the spirit of the living God in you. You can use that word to do great harm. That's why we need to be careful. Paul's critique here is absolutely devastating. When he uses the Greek, two Greek words, chalkos, ashan, the resounding gong, or a, it, it's a hollow echo. What he's saying is, is no matter how great the gift is, If it's coming out of something that is incapable of reproducing the love of God, it just got worthless. It's just a hollow echo. It's not going to accomplish the purpose. It's a painful noise to the people around them. Without God's love, frankly, no matter how big you build a church, it's really not going to do what God wants it to do. Without God's love, being in ministry isn't going to accomplish what God wants it to accomplish. Without God's love, even attending church, feeding the poor, 
going to Bible college. I don't, I don't care what you put in there. The Bible says if you pull love out of it as a Christian, you just took God out of it. Because God is love. That's what 1 John 4 says. He doesn't just possess love. And hear this well. He does not just possess love. He is love. So if you pull love out of it, no matter how beautiful it is, it becomes godless. Doesn't mean that God can't redeem things, because he does, amen? And praise the Lord for that. He can take what the enemy meant for evil and use it for good, amen? But if you want to be on God's side, then we do what we do, every bit of it, with love. Every bit of it. 100%. That's a tall order, amen? Maybe not for you guys. It just is for me, I guess. It's hard. It is difficult to be loving when you're being reviled, amen? You get that ugly email or you're in the middle of that heated exchange with your spouse or somebody says something behind your back and you hear about it. Your, your first response is, God bless you. No, it's not. Your flesh wells up and you're like, oh man, you wait until I get done with your character. You see, that's the old evil that dwells within inside of every one of us. That's the old man fighting for supremacy because the supreme thing is love. The God of this world... The devil is going, oh, no, 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 no. The God of this age is going, you don't want to respond in love. You want to give them a beat down. You want to take them out before they get a chance to take you out. You want to make sure that they get theirs because you're going to get yours. If you, they don't get theirs, you're going to get it. And the whole time the Lord's going, no, Jeff. You love them. And in fact, the whole of your salvation, I would tell you, is based on this one thing. It is the kindness of God that has drawn you to repentance in the first place. It's his loving kindness. It's his love. It's Jesus coming to this world when he didn't have to. He left the glories of heaven to come here. Amen? Emmanuel, God with us, is God came to us. Amen? It's not... Lord, we're so great, of course you'll come and visit us. No, it's like, we're a mess, and he's going, man, i got to go do something because they're a mess. That's his love. That wasn't, wow, they're so valuable. Now, praise God, he actually does see us as valuable. But it's not in our human sense that he sees us valuable. He sees us valuable eternally. So he sends eternal love through Jesus Christ, our Lord. This incredible picture. So how important really is this love to us? Well, what he says here is you could have them all. In verses 1 through 3, he names five of the top spiritual gifts. Five of them. And that is the reference point when he says, if you have them and do it without love, you're a whole bunch of noise. So he rips off tongues, prophecy, knowledge, faith, and giving and says you can do all that, including martyring yourself. But if you do it without love, 
It's not good. How important is love? People sometimes will say, well, what about holiness? Let me tell you about holiness. God is perfectly holy. And he expects holiness out of us. But he does not expect us to press holiness on other people in such a way that they do not see the love of God. Do you get the difference? It's one thing to talk about the holiness of God in reference to God himself. And it's another thing to look at us and go, ooh, that's a tall task. And so when I look at you, I look at you the way I look at me. It's, that's a tall task. That's why Paul called himself, oh, wretched man that I am. In Romans chapter 8, amen? He follows that with who will deliver me from this body of death. He gives us the answer. Praise God is Jesus Christ my Lord. It wasn't the Apostle Paul finally getting it. You get the picture? It wasn't like he all of a sudden arrived and now he could just be the super theologian. When you become those, you actually speak with an Oxford accent. Oh, really? All of a sudden, you know, just everything you say, it's automatically right. No, it's so important to be loving. That Jesus in John chapter 13 said, a new commandment I give you in verse 34. That you love one another as I have loved you. I've left heaven, came to this earth to die in your place. To give my life a ransom for you, Jeffrey S. Gill. That you would love one another that way. And by this, all will know. Not just other believers, by the way. All will know that you are my disciples. If you have loved one for another. Not if you memorize the entire Bible cover to cover. As good as that is, make sure that you understand what I'm saying here. That's a wonderful thing. Praise God. I've yet to meet a single person that's ever done it. It would be wonderful if you could. But if you memorized the whole Bible and all you did was wandering around just beating people with it, it's not going to accomplish anything for the kingdom. If you want to know, well, I memorized the whole Bible. What about you? Well, I didn't, so I'll just die right here. <laughs> you get the point? It's the love that actually is the God ingredient. All the rest of it is truth. Jesus is truth. God is truth. But the truth has to be spoken in what? Love. Speak ye therefore the truth in love one to another. Not just speak the truth. Speak the truth in love. We forget the love part. We remember the truth part. We do the duty part, but we forget the love part. We do the giving part, but we forget the love part. We've got to remember to put the love ingredient into it. Now, I don't know how many of you like to bake. I actually like to bake. I like to cook. But you know, there's a handful of ingredients that if you leave them out, it, it, it doesn't work too well. Like baking soda. If you're baking a cake, it kind of comes out like a brick, doesn't it? It's like it doesn't rise. It's not fluffy. You can have all the rest of the stuff in there. 
And you hand somebody that cake and they're going to go, dude, you, you ought to take up a new profession. This is awful. Tastes like a rock. I'd rather lick dirt than eat, you know, you, you just go on and on. <laughs> That's spiritual giftedness without love. It's a little tiny thing to most people. But it's the secret ingredient. It's the one thing that's got to be in there. It just has to be. Otherwise, the Apostle Paul says, it's nothing. It it, it becomes that Ephesians 4.15 promise without the love. It's just truth. It won't accomplish God's purposes all that well. And so he gives us a list of what love does not do first. And I find, I've always found this interesting. That almost without exception, in the list that you find in your Bible about things that we are supposed to be, they are preceded by things we're not supposed to be. Why do you think that is? Because we mess up, don't we? And so rather than giving us the things that we should, so we can check our boxes, because that's what we do, right? Oh, I do that. I do that. I do that. He gives us the things we're not supposed to do so that when we get to them, we go, oops, I do that. Oops, I do that. Oh, man, I do that one too. So you start looking at the things you're supposed to do very differently when you realize you're already wrong to start with. It's kind of humbling, isn't it? Look at that list. Love suffers long and is kind. The first thing it says is love is not impatient in kindness. The original construction of the the language in this passage basically links kindness and love together. What it says is you're long-sufferingly kind. You're not just suffering long. And you're not just kind, you're being kind while you are suffering long. Now, I don't know about you, that's a very different way to look at that. Because I can suffer long for about five minutes. And I can be kind, but not while I'm long suffering. So when you put those two things together, it's like impossible, amen? That takes God's love. So real love is not short-tempered or ill-willed towards people who desperately need the kindness of God, not a beating. You see, what love doesn't do is scare people away from the grace of God before they even understand what the grace of God is. It's mind-boggling. It's long-suffering and kind at the same time. In other words, what you could say to the opposite side of that is it's not impatient or it's not short-tempered. Can you imagine, have you ever thought of yourself, and I know this is a weird thing to do, but for a moment, put yourself in God's shoes. How long would you have suffered with the world? Just saying. How long would you suffer with Adam and Eve? Or Cain and Abel? Or Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. How long? 
I'm like, after Adam and Eve, I'm pretty skeptical. Just saying. This ain't going so good. Sorry about this, but nah. Gonna let you two croak. Get me some new people. Just saying. I mean, think about it. You control the entire universe. How long are you suffering with Adam and Eve? Not very long. But look what God did. He suffered with Adam and Eve and their progeny 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 progeny all the way to us. And yes, he dealt with them sternly. He wiped out the whole world by flood, saved eight people. Bad day. But he was suffering long and being kind because he should have wiped all of us out. How about Sodom and Gomorrah? Well, Lord, if there's a few hundred, nah. How about if there's a family left? Okay. That's God suffering long and being kind. Not me. Maybe you. You might be more kind than I am. Not me. That love is actually kind and it suffers kindly. Any of you like to suffer kindly? I like to tell everybody when I'm suffering. (laughs) Ask, Ask my bride. Okay, I'll do it. All right. You know how great I am at suffering. We do that, right? You're like, you got some horrible thing that you've got to do. And you send an email, I'm going to paint the house this weekend. If I don't die while I'm doing it. And of course, I won't be able to walk for a week. We don't suffer while we're being kind. We tell everybody exactly how hard we've suffered. Amen. But God's love doesn't do that. That's why sometimes I will use phrases like I think from the cross, Jesus might have even smiled at times. I don't know that. It's a, that's just an extrapolation of the rest of the scriptures from my opinion. But can you, can you imagine the Telestai? It's finished. He wasn't going, oh, I can't believe I had to get this far. Do you get what I'm saying? That's the love of God. That's the love of God. Jesus is not going, can we just get this over? Do you realize how worthless these people are? That's the actual truth though, isn't it? Isn't the truth that we are that worthless? We, We were not worthy of the sacrifice of the Son of God. But he went to the cross willingly. He said, Father, forgive them. They're ignorant of their own understanding. They do not know what they do. He didn't say, if they were just brighter, I wouldn't have to do this. It's important for us to recognize the depths of the kindness and long-suffering of the Lord when we talk about exercising our own spirituality. You see, when I lose that love and that kindness, I lose the very heart of God. Godly love doesn't envy. 
Any of you in here ever envied other people's situations, their circumstances? When Jesus was on the cross, he could have envied all of mankind. Everywhere was better than where he was. And everything was better than where he was. And he said, Father, into thy hands I commit my spirit. He didn't say, boy, I wish I wasn't here. I mean, there's a lot of people that deserve to be here, but not me, Father. God doesn't envy. When you start thinking on the way love does not act, it doesn't have a strong jealousy towards other people. It doesn't look at them and go, well, I don't know why they're so blessed. Can I tell you one of the most stagnating things in the church is when we envy one another. Because it just seizes up your gifts and it diminishes the gifts of anybody else that's got them. Like we sit around, oh, you know, if I just had this or just had that, we become so self-focused and self-centered, we feel sorry for ourselves and we stop fulfilling the God-given roles that he's given us. We just sit around and it's like, oh. And I've done it. I, I say this to shame no one. I've been there. I've done that very thing myself. I've sat on rocks and just bemoaned. Oh, Lord. The people you gave me. I was talking about my dog. No, we do. We envy other people's circumstance. I've talked with... Men who envy other men because of their wives and wives who envy other wives because of their husbands and people who envy other people's jobs and positions and the giftings that God's given them and all it does is sideline you and it diminishes them. Real love does not do that. It doesn't have that strong jealousy. It doesn't confuse, in essence, love with lust or with greed. With jealousy. It's not proud. Agape love, and there is a type of pride that I think is actually acceptable before the Lord. It's pride in the things where he is honored. But not the wrong kind of of being proud. Boastful. We begin to take credit for the things that God's doing. The glory that belongs to him we try and snatch away. Look, in me dwells no good thing. One of the difficulties that all of us face from time to time is just being able to say, but God. But God, who is rich in mercy. Wherein the great love he has loved us. He gave his only begotten son in my place. Look, it's about Jesus. We can't take any credit for it. There's nothing to boast in in that sense. Any good thing that happens in this church is because we serve a good God. Amen? He uses people. There's no question there. He gives gifts to people. But those gifts have been given to us so that we can glorify him. It's the reason we have them. They're not for my own self-gratification. My own self-glorification. My own self-exaltation. They're to glorify God. 
At the end of the day, he's the one that's supposed to be smiling from heaven going, that's about me. It's not rude. And it's an interesting word. It's actually a a Greek word. It's kind of hard to translate. But it means discourteously. It, It can actually mean coarse or vulgar. Now, it's hard to imagine that anyone would ever be like that, but there are times when we act rudely while trying to speak about the love of God. You want me to tell you how we do that? When we call homosexuals by derogatory names. When when we use terms for people. When we use racial epithets. When we talk down to people that Christ died for, when we do not honor the common humanity that we were all created in the image of God for and of, we are being rude. And our world has more than enough rudeness already. Amen? When we talk down to each other, when we diminish each other, when we can't speak kindly, it's one thing to disagree, but we should disagree agreeably. Amen? We can, be, we can have loving disagreements, but it should never get to the place to where I have to tear down your humanity, your value, your dignity, or your self-worth to get my point across so I can tell you how much God loves you. It's not rude. It's not self-seeking either. You've probably met those people that always want their own way. Amen? We pastors are kind of famous for that, unfortunately. I say that sometimes even to my own shame. There are times when I catch myself, Lord, is this actually what you want or is this what I want? Is this something that you actually want to have happen or am I just doing what I want to do? It's not self-seeking, it's Christ-seeking. That's what real love does. It asks the first question in our minds is, does this glorify the Lord? Is somehow the Lord honored in what I'm going to say and what I'm going to do and where this is going to go and what it's going to accomplish? Lord, is this about you or is this about me? Because you're going to find something out A lot of times the reason we actually say things and do things the way we say and do them is because we're trying to get our point across. We're not actually trying to accomplish his will. We're not saying, Father, nevertheless, your will be done on earth, not mine. We're actually saying, Lord, I'm asking you to get my will done and could you make it happen, please? It doesn't seek its own. That's real love. It's what Jesus did. Was there anything that Jesus did for his own benefit? Not a thing. Everything he did while he was here was at some form or cost to him personally. Amen? He was God, but he walked. Did you ever think of that one? He walked. You know what I'm doing if I'm God? I'm levitating myself. This dude ain't getting no blisters. I'm not stepping in no camel stuff. I'm like, whoop. 
See you guys on the other side of the lake. Be over there in a minute. I wasn't self-seeking. He could have done everything miraculously. Amen? But what did he do? He ate what we eat. He drank what we drank. He walked where we walked. He cried when we cried. You see it? He suffered. He died. Most unself-seeking person that's ever been on this planet. A few final things to wrap up. I think this is one that we struggle with. I know we struggle with it on our freeways. Not easily angered. Maybe that's not you. But it's not just that you don't get upset. Because God gets upset about some things. Amen? God actually has righteous indignation. He's capable of that because he thinks perfectly, acts perfectly, has perfect implementation of all things. So God is able to be angry about sin and still at the same time love sinners. Isn't that awesome? Oh, I pray that I can do that. It's one of the things that I think a lot of pastors struggle with. We know the problem, but we have a tough time conveying the truth to somebody without further damaging them in the process sometimes. I figured something out in my later years. The secret to that is not talking. It's praying. Because very often when I pray more and talk less, it actually ends up better for everybody. It's not easily angered. You think of a few, you know, I don't know how many of you you know, like the Pirates of the Caribbean movies, but there's, there's a number of situations there where they've fired cannonballs and there are a number of different cannonballs that were used back in the 16, 17, 1800s when we used to use naval warfare and attack one another on sailing ships primarily. But some of them were actually what we would call a live round. Some of them were just iron balls. And they were nothing more than a gigantic BB out of a BB gun. But some of them were actually bombs, as we would call them. And they actually used to have to set the fuse in them. So depending on the type of fuse that was stuck into the projectile, how long it was, and what the content of powder was on the fuse determined how long that it would actually last once it was lit and then fired from the cannon, hopefully to pierce inside of the enemy ship and then explode. There's a record of a naval battle that was fought off the Azores Islands between the Spanish and the British where a shell was fired from a British ship. It pierced inside of the Spanish ship. The Spanish ship went all the way back to port two days later and then it blew up. It had smoldered the whole time. You want to have that kind of fuse. Very long and very slow burning. Agape love doesn't keep a record of wrongs. And I don't want to beat up anybody in this room. But can you put away your lists? Please. For Jesus' sake, for the kingdom's sake. Because here's what happens when you keep a record of wrong. It becomes about whose list is longest. And can I tell you something? 
you put two people in a room and they each take out their list, neither of them is ever going to run out a list. Because the moment you almost get to the end of the list, somebody will add something to one list or the other. And all you're going to prove is that as human beings, we are a mess. We all have issues. We all have things that we're responsible for. But if you drag around your list, if you do this in your marriage, you will destroy your marriage. I have literally had people come into my office and pull out multiple pages of things that their husband or their wife has done over a period of decades. Decades. And it's stuff like, you know, well, you bought a dog without me knowing about it. I'm serious as a heart attack right now. Yeah, well, you painted the house the color that I didn't like. Oh, yeah? Well, I wanted flannel sheets and you got Egyptian cotton. We get pretty petty every once in a while, don't we? Anybody get petty? Especially when you're losing. Especially when your list starts to look like it's the losing list. And here's what you do. You start putting stuff on the bottom. Oh, yeah, well... Take that. And so here's what happens. You put those two lists side by side and you start checking the things off. And then at the end of that, you never find Jesus. All you find is a list that at the bottom of it says, still needs Jesus' love. Still needs forgiveness. Still needs grace. Still needs mercy. You see, real love doesn't keep a record of wrongs. You know how we know that? Jesus. You don't think he doesn't know what you've done? He came anyway. If Jesus had brought a record of wrongs to this earth, the earth would have been smothered. If they were written on paper, the whole world would have been covered a hundred feet deep of all my stuff. That's just my stuff. Forget your stuff. You understand? No record of wrong. That's actually why he said, Father, forgive them. They're doing a bunch of wrong stuff. But I am not going to remember it as far as the east is from the west. I'm going to bury it in the depths of the sea. I will bring it to remembrance no more. That's what God's love does. So do that for your spouse, do that for your kids, do that for your parents, do that for our nation, do that for our world, do that for those who govern over us. It's like, yeah, we all mess up. And finally, real love, God's love, agape love, never ever delights in evil. Ever. And you see, at first glance, that seems almost silly to have to say. It's like, well, of course I don't delight in what Satan does. But that's not actually what it says. 
It actually says, does not delight in evil. In other words, when evil happens in someone else's life, when someone else is going through a difficulty, you ever wondered how the National Enquirer is the second largest distribution newspaper in the world? Because it presents nothing but other people's wrongs. It delights in their evil. The things they're going through. The court cases. The aliens that abducted them. (laughs) That their dog is actually God. No, it, it presents a case where people can delight in evil. Do you know why people read gossip magazines? Because we like to delight in evil. Do you know why we constantly demean people in the media and in government? Because we delight in evil. Do you know why racism exists in our world still to this day? Because we delight in evil. We say things based on wounding somebody because we're actually delighting in presenting evil. That's the enemy. That's not God. We are helping the enemy when we speak forth those things. Real love doesn't do that. Real love says that person, whether I agree with them or not, was bought and paid for with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. How dare I present their evil to anyone because real love actually obscures evil. It hides it. Love conceals the matter. Love covers it over. Love does not get on Instagram. You know what Joey did? You see what I'm saying? You see how pervasive the problem is in our culture. We actually delight in making people humiliated. Causing them grief and pain. Somebody does something to you, what do we do? We have a new thing in our world called revenge porn. I knew nothing about this. I read an article about it. People taking pictures of somebody that they formerly loved. And when they don't any longer love them, we'll just put that on the internet. Talk about evil. This will get them. <laughs> Man, that's the devil. That's Satan himself just laughing all the way. You see, real love is first defined here by what it does not do, how it does not behave, what it would not put up with, what Jesus did not do when he came. You see, Jesus didn't come in a stunning flash of glory, did he? He came as a babe in a manger, amen? He came into Jerusalem on the foal of a donkey. That type of love transcends all the other stuff that goes on in our world. Spirituality is not a matter of spectacular spiritual giftedness. True spiritual out. True spirituality is a matter of monumental love. 
love like Jesus loves. In our marriages, as parents, as citizens, as neighbors, as friends. Let's love like Jesus loves. Amen? Would you stand? We'll close in prayer. Pastors are going to come up and be available for prayer. Let's make that kind of love our motivation. And I realize that these things have been said in, in the opposite manner. In other words, what love is not. But in saying that, the Apostle Paul is also telling us what love is. And he's going to go on in the second half of the chapter to help us define that. But as you look at your own life, check places where the love that should be there is not there. And ask yourself why. What is it? Is it, is it some of these things? You know, are you easily angered? Are you keeping a, a record of wrong? Are you behaving rudely? Are you not being kind while you're suffering? Are you just not being kind in general? And if so, ask yourself why. And then seek the Lord. Because he'll show you and he'll help you. And what will happen is he's going to change you. And he's going to make you more like him. And you'll start to love people. Father, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. That you sent Jesus to this earth. Lord, and in doing so, you showed us what this love actually looks like. And you surely showed us what it is not. Lord, it does give its own goods to feed the poor. That's true. It is ecstatic in its speech. That is true. It could move mountains. It does work by faith. That's all true. But Lord, this kind of love isn't envious. Doesn't boast about itself. Lord, we thank you for loving us, the unlovable ones. Lord, would we love the way you love? Would we be so kind that would draw people to you? Lord, would we be gentle? Lord, in everything that we do, would would we be quick to forgive and forget, to let go, cast off the old man and put on the new? Father God, we thank you for loving us. Thank you for forgiving us of our sin. Thank you for inscribing our names on the palms of your hands, Jesus. Thank you for drawing us to yourself with your own blood. Lord, help us to love like you love. In Jesus' name, amen. (laughs) 